0: It's good to be back with you all here. Uh, I've uh, been visited a couple times over the past few years, so it's nice to be back while Richard is away. For those of you who don't know, my name is Eric Nefsted. I'm a chaplain in, uh, at Sequoia Hospital down in Redwood City, California, so I spend most of my days in the hospital. And I get, on occasions like this, to visit the various churches of the diocese. So thank you for welcoming me and having me back at the heart of the lessons, I think, that we've heard for today, I believe, is this question which can be phrased in many ways, but the words of the prophet Isaiah say it well. Why spend life seeking that which does not satisfy? Why spend life seeking that which does not satisfy? So these lessons about vanity And focusing on that which is above, Uh, point to this important spiritual polarity, I believe, one of seeking wisdom and overcoming foolishness, of living a life of significance and avoiding the temptations of vanity. So on the one hand, in that second lesson we heard, uh, we're, we're called to seek things and set one mind one's mind on things that are above, and ponder that which is good and true, and on the other hand, to resist the temptations of greed and the false security with this obsession with earthly riches. So as I was pondering these lessons this week, I remember one of the most important conversations that I had with my mother, when I was about 19 years old. I know that I have shared this story with some of you here before, so my apologies for repeating it, but I share it because it is a touchstone of my own transformation of heart and mind and how I can overcome some of my temptations. I think it can also be a reminder amidst the sometimes bold rhetoric going on in our country today, particularly in the midst of all the political uh, rhetoric, um, which uh, often involves a bit of wrath and malice and slander and abusive language and practices, which the second lesson talked about. So to set the stage about this conversation that I had with my mom when I was 19, uh, it was helpful to know that I was raised in the church back in Minnesota and my parents and my family took faith seriously. And by the time I was a freshman in college, I had known suffering personally in my own life, and I had also become deeply troubled with what I witnessed in the world around me. And it all began to challenge my understanding of my faith. So one day, over a cup of coffee at our kitchen table, Sitting there with my mom over spring break, I turned to her and said, in the midst of my despair, Mom, I think I'm an atheist. So for a church mother, that kind of made her wiggle a little bit, Uh, and she responded probably after taking another sip of coffee and a deep breath, and she said, I'm glad to hear it. She said, because it's clear that your childhood image of God is breaking down. Well, that certainly had my attention, and I was paying attention to see what she had to say. And it was the beginning of a time when I saw the world with new eyes. It was a transformation of mind and heart, but how God is at work in the world. So then, Mom asked an important question. What are you mad about in the world, she asked me. What are you mad about in the world? And it began to reframe for me how I had begun, how I could see God at work in the world in a different way. Those of you who know me know that I love church music, and I grew up in the church, and all those things about life in the church were very familiar to me, and I cared deeply about them, and I still do. But that question that day opened up a world of significance and not just vanity. So it was 1985, and at that time what made me mad and troubled me were the various social injustices of the time. I was angry when I heard stories about apartheid in South Africa and stories of cruelty and institutionalized prejudice, prejudice and violence. I was still mad about the lingering injustices of the Vietnam War, both for the people of Vietnam, including the refugees that I had come to know who had been living in our small town, as well as the veterans who had served in the war and returned home deeply troubled from their time in Vietnam. It was 85 and I was frightened by the nuclear arms race particularly because I knew that there were multiple nuclear weapons in missile silos just west of us in North Dakota, very near our home. And on a more personal note, I was in the process of coming out as gay, as a gay man in the midst of a world of prejudice and homophobia. I was not only mad at the various prejudices in the world, I was afraid for my life and the life of the world." As I sat there talking with my mother that day, she was able to help me see that up to that point I hadn't connected in my life of faith, my understanding of all these justices in the world and God. So she said, after I shared my litany of concerns, and what makes you think that God is not angry or doesn't care about all those injustices that you have just made? What makes you think God isn't angry about all those injustices? She went on to tell me that day that she was angry about those things, and her anger informed her faith. She had taken steps to do what she could to address them in our little small town in Minnesota. She reminded me that our family hosted a visiting minister from South Africa, who was black, who had shared his story of how he had been tortured in South Africa under apartheid and found refuge in the U.S. She reminded me of how churches in our small town, including our own church, in northern Minnesota had sponsored several Vietnamese boat family refugees, and help them escape the horrors of war in their home country and find refuge in the U.S. And she reminded me of the time when she realized that she and her fellow women teachers at the school where she was working were paid significantly less than their male counterparts, even though they, as women, had more teaching experience and larger classes. And so she saw how this injustice was not just a personal injustice but a social injustice. For her, standing up to this and speaking out it was not about pack, uh, pocketing additional cash. It was more about righting a social wrong and a systemic injustice. She reminded me of her efforts to right this wrong, to speak out, and to bring and advocate for equal pay for equal work, not just for herself, but for all women. And she shared that her commitment as a teacher was to help students who were skating on the edge of poverty learn how to use knowledge and skill to improve their lives. But also, she thought her vocation as a teacher was to empower them to feel confident and aware that their lives were valuable and meaningful. And what makes you think that God is not angry about those injustices, she said. So her questions that day helped me see the world and my faith through new eyes and connect my own quarrels with the injustices of the world with my faith. And in that moment, it was the beginning of a conversation about what is truly significant and what is vain in my own life. I hadn't realized until then that I had associated God only with the maintenance of the world as it was, not with changing the power structures of the world. She introduced to me this tradition of the prophetic spirit, which exists not only in Judaism and Christianity, but in all religious traditions, which gives us power to change the world for the better and not accept things as they are. What my mother helped me see was that I had framed an end to my faith by claiming to be an atheist, but she helped me see that it was not really an end, but more of a transformation or a conversion of mind and heart. Dr. William Turner, who teaches preaching and theology at Duke University, calls a crisis A a crisis experience of conversion, one in which our perspective on life is shifted. In other words, he said, when the spirit moves like it had in me and we are saved or born again or changed or filled with the spirit or whatever, however you describe it, what follows is a challenge to the way things are. Being moved by the Spirit necessitates a quarrel with the way things are in the world, because our world is out of kilter with the ways of God. It was that insight that I came to realize that day, sipping coffee with my mom in the kitchen table. And it is just that insight That awakened me again in the midst of all the political rhetoric of our country in this time. So I hear the words of the gospel in that context. Or, as William Barber, who was a preacher from North Carolina, said recently "That's, that's why, no matter how much one uses language of the church, no matter how often one says, I'm trusting in God, or I'm born again, or I'm filled with the Spirit, if the result is not a liberation focus for those in need, if the church speaks uh, of Christ but defends the powerful and says nothing, and more importantly, does nothing about social things that are ravaging human lives, then the claim of being in the Spirit must be suspect. Jesus' example made our calling to be mindful of the poor, the weak, and those who are on the sidelines of life. Or as Walter Wink in Engaging Powers said, noted that, that Jesus said that by the Spirit, the Spirit teaches us to put forth a different value than the value of the world atmosphere." for us today the church cannot be seduced into considering people like the world considers people the mission of the church is to save humanity from its inhumanity so how do we in our own lives and our own stories overcome the temptations of vanity we can look for the signs and the spirit of Jesus at work in our lives. It is the spirit of Jesus within us that it will enable us to recognize two movements within our spiritual life. Martin Smith once said, first, he said, we will be able to experience God's love moving to embrace us as it embraced Jesus in the Jordan. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. In that moment, sitting around the table with my mother, I experienced that moment of feeling beloved, that my understanding uh, acceptance of who I was took place in that moment. And secondly, the Spirit of Jesus reproduces within us uh, this experience of being impelled to embrace the suffering world in compassion. The Spirit of Jesus moves us as it moved him to identify ourselves with a broken world and to bring it within the reconciling brace of a loving God. So this intimacy of God, feeling loved by God, and our identification with the fallen creatures of God are at the heart of what the Spirit of Jesus is about and can teach us in our time today. So may that spirit of love and compassion for you and for others be what we as a church help release into our world in this time. Amen.